Hey, everyone. It is. It's very uncomfortable. We'll <laughs> get even more uncomfortable because today we're doing a real deep dive check-in with y'all. Um, it's abundantly apparent to both Dana and I that um, everyone in our circles and then a lot of the world is feeling pretty down and out these days. We've been in quarantine for six months now, give or take. And I think a lot of us are starting to really feel it um, mentally, emotionally, physically. And we wanted to uh, do a quick check-in. You know, we, we, we try to check in with you guys as much as we can. But this week we wanted to uh, go a little bit deeper and talk about some warning signs that your body and or mind may already be exhibiting that should be paid attention to because it's important and we care about you and mental health is a real thing and should be talked about and normalized and understood. Especially because it's super, super common that your mental health not be in the best state and that uh, we don't talk about it enough and that, um, like like you said, pandemic depression is, I would think, absolutely logical at this point. Like Yeah. If like you I'm, aren't feeling some level of pandemic depression, you are a god among men, and I applaud yes, you, and yes. I want to know your your tips and tricks, because I'm definitely feeling it, especially the last few weeks have been super rough for me. I don't know about you, but uh, it's it's been a struggle. So um, I did a bunch of research for this episode, as you know we always do. Uh, I, I pulled up a bunch of articles that talked about really common ways that depression manifests itself, both in physical and mental ways that are often overlooked. Um, and a lot of these, of course, are like, there's a myriad of reasons that these things could be happening. But if it's happening on a very consistent scale and a lot of these things are coupled together, and you're also feeling like the very common signs of depression, like feelings of worthlessness or like no hope, being really sad all the time or you know whatever it may be, it maybe is a good time to check in with yourself um, and kind of take a look and evaluate and maybe put into at, uh, motion some of the things that we suggest later on in this episode because I also compiled a little list of things that work for me as I've been dealing with depression for I don't know how many years. It's been a long going, you know, ongoing thing for a long time for me. And I've been in therapy for seven, eight years, something like that. So I've learned a lot of tips and tricks along the way with that. And yeah. I just wanted to share them with the world. I think that's what we forget is that there, um, there are tools and coping mechanisms for basically almost anything in the world. And that sometimes we just don't have access to those. So we think they don't exist. We think that if something like that existed, that it would be common knowledge. And I think uh -huh. we forget how many pockets of actual information are out there and how many different resources you can find for things like this. Cause, um, just like you said, it's not. I think a really big thing to note is that it's not just being sad. Like, I even the word depression is, like, not... It's not really about sadness. It's about, like, depressants versus stimulants, right? So if you're depressed, your immune system is depressed. Like, something something is compromising it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we can get into all the science -y stuff later. I'm really excited for the talking about a hippocampus, just because I like that word. Makes me think yeah. of a hippo, like, on a college campus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, With a little jacket. I just like derailed myself with a cute animal. I don't know why. Okay. Um, but having a context for it, not just being sadness, I think is important yeah. because I don't know if this happens to you, but in, especially when I think of my family, uh, the mental health conversation gets shut down immediately because I yes. think they're very like, especially for me, like I'm first generation, I'm zero generation basically. Cause like I, I came over with my mom. I was, I was born in the Middle East and 
I I come from a very strong family structure of, I mean, we're like boisterous, we're passionate, we're very like colorful and animated, but that doesn't mean that you are open about your struggles. Absolutely not. Like that's not, you put your best foot forward and that's, that's the game and everything else is just like coping to get there. Right. Um, right. So even bringing this up is hard because they think that we're just like, well, yeah, I'm not sad. I'm like, yeah, but I, I see how you behave, dude. Like, I, like I'm not, I'm not saying any, I'm not trying to like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to diagnose anybody. It's just, no. it's more we're not than, qualified for that. yeah, we are not qualified. We're never going to say that we are. We're talking about our own experiences. And for me, I ignored it for so long because I was looking for the wrong things. Yeah. Or you're, you're labeling it as something different. Yeah. And if we're, we're about anything on this podcast, it's about normalizing things that should be normalized. And one of those absolutely is mental health and taking care of your mental health in any way that you see fit and this you're capable of doing. Um, so we want to just, you know, provide this space of, you know, welcoming and calmness and maybe some thoughts and words that may help you with your journey and whatever you're dealing with. And it doesn't matter, you know, your religion, your age, your sex, whatever, we all deal with it. We all should have the space to talk about it and we want to offer that too. So yeah. Are there, so what, what do you feel like it looks like for you outside of, you know, what we do know about it? So, like, what are my behaviors that I immediately recognize as being depressed? Yes. Um, The biggest one is sleeping a ton and constant fatigue. Okay. So, um, I'm a big napper, especially lately, and I know that a big part of that is because I'm just exhausted constantly, um, and I just feel, I feel tired all the fucking time, and it doesn't matter. I could drink an entire cup of coffee and then fall asleep right afterwards, and it's just because mentally I'm just so fatigued and I'm just always tired. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is craving really unhealthy foods. So like I texted you yesterday for support because I really, really wanted some McDonald's and I knew that I didn't actually want McDonald's. It was just my depression wanting McDonald's. Yeah. We did end up making burgers because of that though, but they were delicious. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. See, homemade burgers are are vastly different than McDonald's And I even said that. I was like, you know, maybe just remember that like that craving, I'm not trying to take away your craving. It's valid. And like, we sometimes comfort ourselves with food, but also like... I just don't feel good after I eat that shit, so... No. And that's the thing. It's like, I know I'm not going to feel good. I know I'm going to regret it for at least 24 hours. So do you think it's self-punishment or self-indulgement? Indulgence. Um, Sorry. I'm thinking it's probably a little bit more self-indulgence than self-punishment. I've never been, like, a really self-harm kind of person. At least not for a very long time. So it's just like... Well, I mean, I guess you could view it as self-punishment, knowing that I'm going to feel like shit and doing it anyway. It's like the same thing is like I'll overspend too. Like money I don't have, I'll put something on credit card when I know full well, A, I'm trying to save, B, I don't have any business spending this money, and C, I don't need this item, whatever it is. Absolutely. So I'm going to absolutely regret it afterwards. Sometimes like I that. even tell myself like you are going to like, what, like as I'm doing it, I know that it's that. And I'm like, nope, this is what I get. Like, and I'm literally in that moment, I'm punishing myself. I'm like, nope, this is... Yeah. You're going to make impulsive choices. Now you have to keep this thing. I'm like, what the, what kind of, what? Yeah, <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of being impulsive is definitely not in my normal nature. But um, my depressive nature is very much impulsive. So, oh, I have a craving for a brownie. I'm going to go find a brownie at, all, at any cost. Well, another or, thing I think about too is that like uh, I saw when I was looking up um, generational trauma and how it affects depression and like childhood trauma and things like that. I saw a lot of things that were talking about um, like um, uh, immediate gratification and uh, regression when it came to dealing with our trauma. So when I say 
oh, I want that food and I know it's going to make me feel gross later. Maybe it is self-punishment, but it could, when I say indulgence, it could be that thing of like, you regress to a state where that satisfaction outweighs that you know you're going to feel gross later, which I think as we turn 30 and as we get a little older, we get much better at ignoring those things that are like, hey, Mm -hmm. you want to eat that at 11 o'clock at night and feel like shit all night, right? Like you can ignore that when you're in a better state of mind, but... And I'm very much an emotional eater too. So it's like anytime that I'm bored or sad or angry or whatever, my immediate reaction is to f- to fill myself with food because food makes me so damn happy all the time. I'm like, you know, I'm very wildly food driven. If I were a dog, I'd be a golden retriever without a doubt. <laughs> um, so that's also just a big sign for me. If I, you know, I'm, I'm eating eight times a day, that's probably not that, or I'm rapidly gaining weight. I mean, mm-hmm. there's probably an underlying reason behind that other than I'm happy. Cause when I'm happy, I don't really feel the need to constantly eat or like seek out food at all times. So that's the thing too, is, uh, you're, you're, you're deficient for oxytocin. If you are feeling like, an, an, if you're like experiencing stress and like, um, it's causing, you know, depressive symptoms. So maybe because you know food makes you happy, and this is, I feel like this is exactly what I do because I am absolutely like a food gratification person too, is that you are triggering the release of those hormones in other ways that make you happy because you're Mm -hmm. not able to do it. So like that's, which is why like when you're in a happy mood and you're able to get that somewhere, you don't have to look for it somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Because I absolutely look for that in like probably sandwiches and ice cream the most. Yeah. Yeah. So food gratification is also one for you. Mm -hmm. What are other some... What are some other big signs for you that kind of indicate that you may be depressed? A really bad one for me is, which I'm already, like, my sleep is just terrible. And I know that you said that you have really disrupted sleep from, like, nightmares and you've always had that. Um, I just wake up super fucking early and I'm not a light sleeper. I just, I can only sleep for short bursts at a time. So I don't really Mm -hmm. get that, like, restful sleep. So you're insomniac. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. Super common, super common sign of depression. Yeah, because I, you know, I'm tired. I'll get tired and sleep feels good, but I'm, I've never been a person who liked sleeping. And like, I, I love naps. Like, I'll definitely nap, but that's like once a, I don't know, every couple months if I'm actually feeling, and it's usually like, oh, I woke up so early and I didn't crash again at 5 a.m. that I am like crashing instead at like 11 a.m. or something, you know, like a, like a little baby. Um, inappropriate guilt was a really really big one for me at like in high school and when I was younger I that one I I recognize immediately now and just kind of like put it away and I've learned that from anxiety but um misplaced guilt that you just feel for no reason and you can't even place like why you feel guilty so you just feel guilty about everything so that also connects with unfocused anxiety so I've I've started to realize that like the reason I stopped focusing as much on dealing with my anxiety and dealing with my depression is that my anxiety only comes out when I'm not dealing with my depression at all, right? It's like a, it's a, it's a worse trigger of that. So like unfocused anxiety and inappropriate guilt. So a lot of it is like other emotions and then, um, not being able to focus. Like, um, I, right before I started my medication, what made me go in was I literally, I was getting tired from having six tasks going at the same time and not being able to stay on one for I'm I'm not exaggerating this at all a minute and a half two minutes I I I was so jumpy I couldn't get anything done um and that felt terrible uh indecisiveness is a weird one um neglecting my plants is a huge one I can like if I if I can tell that they need water and I'm just like I just keep walking inside and I immediately forget about it i I, I then now I've learned to tell myself like, hey, 
those plants don't deserve your punishment. Like, go water them and deal yeah. with your shit because you're obviously not. Another one for me is perpetual panic. Yeah. Where I'm just spiraling out of control all the time about everything that could possibly go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought of a word for this. I forget what it is. But it's just like you get in these cycles of negative thought where you just can't break free of them. And oh. everything you think about... Intrusive thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I we actually were just talking about how like being introduced to that term helped us find... Which, that's another thing I think is really important about this episode is... When you have the vocabulary to look at what's going on in your life, you are much more aware of what's going on in your life. Because if you yes. don't have words for it, you just think that that's how you feel and you don't, you, what? It's like yes. a batter yes. is in front of you and you don't know the ingredients in it. I have one that I dubbed with a Disney reference. Okay. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Ooh, can't wait but to let's hear finish, it. Yeah, let's finish up your, your common signs and then we can get into like a lot of common physical manifestations of stress and depression, which... I'm always surprised that people don't realize that, like, your stress and your depression can legitimately come to fruition as a physical manifestation, like yeah. back pain. Yeah. Okay, oh, my, oh, so that's actually another one for me. Um, another thing about, this was, like, late 2017 is right before I started, I, like, remember, because I hadn't had a doctor's appointment in forever, um, was joint pain. So the other, one of the other ones I was going to say was significant weight loss or weight gain, which I have experienced both, but... <clears throat> the big thing for me was I, I've always stayed in the same range, like most of my life, but I knew yeah. once I was out of that range and I was gaining more weight than I'm used to, that that was something very significant for my mental health. And obviously that becomes an, a, if you don't feel good about yourself and you don't have energy, you're just going to get more depressed. Right. Right. So I don't even know if the joint pain, it was like, it was both. It was like depression and having such a increase of the weight that my body was carrying, mm -hmm. like in a short period of time, that mm -hmm. joint pain was a like, Pain will literally, like, my lower back stopped hurting, like, 30 pounds ago. And that, like, it, it definitely also had to do with being able to deal with my mental health and deal with my eating as a coping mechanism. So Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, Disney reference? Can I get that Disney reference? Okay. So, <laughs> um, I called it Beauty and the Beast Rose Syndrome. Okay. And so, the way that I imagine this is, you are the rose in Beauty and the Beast, and what happens is you feel like there is a glass jar around you that keeps you from everyone and everything around you. And it takes a lot of effort to engage with anything outside of that jar to the point where it's just absolutely exhausting to try to connect with anything. And you just feel so distanced from everyone and from everything outside of the jar. Absolutely. I don't remember if this is quite what she meant by it or if this is something I'm imagining, but I feel like that's kind of what Sylvia Plath was talking about with, like, the bell jar as a concept yes, because it was kind absolutely. of the beginning of, like, her descent into her own mental health issues. Yeah. Um, I just, I didn't yeah. want bell jar to be confused with, like, you know, common curves and bell jars and stuff No, like no, that. no, absolutely. So if you feel like you're in this jar and you think of Beauty and the Beast, you're going to remember that reference way better than just Bell Jar. Oh, well, I also appreciate it more because that rose, like, slowly wilts as it doesn't get attended to. So I Absolutely. think that's something that Absolutely, is very yes. metaphorically important <laughs> in that in that conversation. Works um, on multiple levels. Exactly. Always. So if you're feeling like you're just completely detached from everything and everyone around you, which in a pandemic you're going to naturally feel, mm -hmm. but if it also feels just absolutely exhausting trying to reach out to things around you and people around you, then maybe it's a little bit more important to pay attention to that feeling. Because obviously, like, we can't really go anywhere. We can't really do anything. We can't really see the people we want to see. But there's ways you can work around that to 
you know, kind of mediate, mitigate, mitigate that, you know, feeling. But if it's just feeling exhausting to try to make that happen, then that's kind of a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. That numbness is really hard to kick and it, it creates another one of those cycles where like you might even see it, but you don't have the energy to do anything about it. Absolutely. So, um, let's get into some physical manifestations of depression. So we talked about back aches, totally common, especially if there's lots of weight gain, you're mm-hmm. putting more undue stress, not only on your, on your body because of the depression, but because of the weight gain. So that's totally, you know, chronic pain is the same thing. Um, digestive problems is one that I deal with for sure. Like the more cortisol stress hormone you have in your body, the more that you're, you're you know, you're nervous system is not going to operate properly and Mm -hmm. one of those things that commonly happens is you have digestive problems um and you know if you've got ibs that's kind of like a catch-all diagnosis of things but you know maybe it's stress related or whatever i know Um, it definitely exacerbates it if you have it absolutely yes absolutely headaches headaches is a big one for me another Mm -hmm. one caused a lot by cortisol the stress hormone um my headaches are predominantly triggered by stress and you know not eating enough or being in the sun too much or whatever so um i get a lot of headaches when i'm depressed and then there's things like shortness of breath uh constant nausea or just like complete disinterest in food even if you are hungry um and then dizziness and balance issues oh Um, yeah that one too when it got real bad that was a weird one (laughs) so if you ever are just like spontaneously feeling super dizzy or like you're having trouble balancing um pay attention to how long that lasts and how often it happens and if there's anything that kind of triggers it and the last one is heart palpitations Mm -hmm. so this could be like a racing heart or like your heart feels like it skips a beat you know having kind of an arrhythmia or just like the sudden urge or a sudden surge of what feels like adrenaline a lot of those are hormonally based and can go tie back into like being depressed or being anxious or whatever so those are all physical and then you know we get into stuff like you were talking about memory loss or memory issues um especially like short-term confusion or brain fog um one of the most interesting ones that i found was um auditory processing issues so let's say that you and i are having a conversation and i say something to you and pause because i need you to react and you stare at me for like 10 seconds trying to process what the hell I just said. Super common with depression. Yeah, that was that was my whole life. I was, yeah, my, I, I basically stopped hearing people. And then I would have yeah. to be like, oh, wait, I need to respond to that. And it was like pulling yeah. myself out of my own head. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's almost like your brain is moving really slow processing the information. Or I'll say something to you four times and you'll hear me and you know that you hear me, but you just can't process what I'm saying to you. Mm-hmm. Or even better not better, I'm sorry, even worse, is the noises around you. So let's say like you and I are having a conversation in the kitchen, but in the living room, the office is playing on TV. That conversation will be so distracting to you that you can't engage fully in the conversation you and I are having to the point where like you can't finish trains of thoughts because your your mind is so distracted by the office playing. Absolutely, yeah. And so um, all of these external noises will just like kind of confuse you too much. Or it can even escalate further to the point where sounds or sensations are way more intolerable than usual. So instead of just like, this sounds annoying me, like one of my fans ticks when it's on high and it really bothers me. So instead of just like it annoying me, it will become like an instant knee-jerk reaction of distress and rage. And mm-hmm. I have to stop the noise at, at any cost, like right then and there. So it's yeah. like this really irrational reaction to it. And it can apply to silence. 
it can apply to sensations like someone touching you or like a tag on your clothing where oh, it would be wow. like oh let me just deal with this really quick like let me find some scissors blah blah it'd be like yeah. this fucking tag comes off now and, like, yeah you rip it off that's <laughs> so any sort of like hugely over the top reaction is definitely something to pay attention to and that could even be independent of depression like Maybe that's a great indicator that you're hungry or that you need a nap or, you know, there's something that you're not dealing with and not focusing on that needs your attention that your body's telling you to pay attention to. Yeah. Do you want to get into some more terms? So some of the things that I wanted to talk about also relate back to what you were just saying about um, memory. So your hippocampus, like I was saying earlier, is responsible for your memory and your feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And it is shown that childhood trauma or early onset trauma will affect the development of the hippocampus. So a lot of people who are depressed and also have childhood trauma, I would, I'm not going to say all of them, obviously, most of them, many of them, a significant portion of them have a smaller hippocampus than would be considered average because it's like underdeveloped. Right. So that would kind Mm -hmm. of put you at a disadvantage already if you're already like not processing as thoroughly. Um, Another thing that I wanted to like touch on was especially during a pandemic, is situational depression versus clinical depression. So when we're talking about situational depression, we're talking about, like, as a definition, um, it's considered an adjustment disorder with a depressed mood. And... um, For which one? Clinical or situational? Situational. So that is... So by adjustment disorder, we're basically talking about, like, a huge traumatic event happens in your life. Like, you lose a close friend or family member... Um, you know, there's uh, a pandemic, there's a pandemic, you lose Um, a a limb, you lose a, a yeah, you lose a limb, you like, uh, family trauma, um, lose a job. There's a, there's many things. And the thing is too, is like experiencing them on a bigger social level. I think we just don't have a ton of research on, but that doesn't affect the change of like, it doesn't change the fact that those are all traumas. Right. Um, and I think we've really done a disservice to, well, to veterans and to PTSD in the sense that we kind of really, really narrow the scope of what we consider PTSD because honestly, like, when you consider what you're even asking of people who don't see combat even, the I just consider, I'm not going to get into my views here, but, like, I just consider the idea, like, what you're asking of people to go to war or be in the military is already a traumatic thing for what the human experience yeah. should be as far as, you know, Absolutely. not hurting each other, right? So, um we've really narrowed down what we see as traumatic events. And I think if people kind of expanded that and looked at what they have experienced in their life, they would be able to sit easier with the idea that this might be depression and they might need to address it. Right. Because situational depression, what that was what I was mentioning to you earlier is that like, uh, the study from was the brain and behavior research, uh, Institute, um, showed that there's like different combinations, right? Of like therapy and medication and one that focuses on therapy more and one that focuses on medication more. And like the psychotherapy being really, really effective with people who had like childhood trauma and were dealing with clinical depression, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. like medication and a little bit of therapy, um, helped people with short-term depression, which a lot of times, even my medicine, you can use it for like six months and get weaned off because, if you get out of that event in your life and you're not that stressed anymore and you're producing those hormones at a regular level and your moods are better, you can move out of that. Right. And that's very different than clinical depression, which is um, like major depressive disorder. Also, I wanted to touch back on like PTSD and relating it to veterans so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people underestimate how much 
civilians can also experience PTSD. Exactly. And also not fall into some clinical diagnosis of PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that you get to determine what you consider traumatic in your life. No fucking book gets to decide that. Yeah. So even if you haven't gone to war or you haven't lost someone close to you, you have every right to have events in your life and you get to label them as traumatic enough to give you um, underlying and symptoms and things that happen well after the fact. Absolutely. So if you don't fall into the PTSD definition, quote unquote, you still have fucking traumatic things that happen to you and you have every right to say that. Right. And this is the conversation that I want to have because I I really think there is a huge segment of people that don't seek help because they don't, they devalue their own pain so much Mm -hmm. that they want to make it smaller and smaller and smaller. The problem with doing that is that those things don't go, those things are like the spinach that I am terrible at actually eating in my fridge. Just because I ignore it and keep that fridge door closed does not change the fact that it's in there getting worse yep. and worse and worse. You have to confront it, right? So like, yes. that's a, a tough thing to talk about is that I think one of the major ways to deal with this, obviously through therapy, is that you need to sit with these things and that sucks and it hurts. Yes. And sometimes yes. it's unbearable and that's when you need to take a break and, you know not do yeah. that anymore but we lose people along that way i think because they're not willing to to talk about that and it's it's falling into the trap of my trauma isn't bad as this person's trauma that yes. i also witnessed secondhand thirdhand whatever yeah um which is absolutely the trap that i fell into i had trauma happen to me when i was 16 years old and i literally just brought it up to my therapist this year and it was because I played it down so much because I related my trauma as not as severe as other traumas in traumas in similar categories oh absolutely so there are things i conscious it's not that i'm consciously keeping them from my therapist but i don't talk about them because nobody knows about them like yep i don't tell those things to anyone because i'm not ready to and i may never be ready to and that's mine like that's not on that but it doesn't change the fact that like yeah you if you if you quiet your own things that much you're not going to take them seriously and they're going to sit with you forever yeah this is why the the phrase of unpacking things in therapy is so brilliant because we all have these boxes of trauma and of pain and, you know, regret or whatever. Those boxes don't go away just because you don't fucking acknowledge them. They're still sitting in your mind storage. So when you unpack them is when you finally get to get rid of them. And you can't unpack them unless you are willing to sit with them. And honestly, I understand how uncomfortable it is because the things that you unpack, uh, they don't always go away, right? So if you unpack them, you have to find a place for them in your brain storage, right? They need yes. to fit somewhere. And again, you learn, you learn to cope with them. Exactly. <laughs> That's like, yeah. it's just such a, it's making the jump to, ha- to being willing to have that conversation. Yeah. And that's, those, it kills me monsters, that so many people can't do that. Those monsters may not go away, but you won't be as afraid of them. Yes. Or you'll be able to stand up to them and tell them to piss off or whatever. Exactly. Know? Right. So. Um, let's get back into some more terms that we can use to identify how we're feeling. Okay. So the next one I want to talk about is called executive dysfunction. Oh, yes. Um, so this one was actually such a light bulb moment for me. And the way that you can imagine it is like the human version of buffering. So like when you're sitting there watching Netflix and your show stops and then just kind of like has that little spinning wheel. So it's like, I'm sitting on the couch and I know I need to get up and shower. Like, okay, I got to get up and shower. But I just sit there, and I sit there, and I sit there. It's like, ah, I gotta, I gotta get up and shower. I gotta do this. And then I sit there, 
and I sit there and I sit there. So it's just this sitting in this like state of buffering, knowing you need to do these things, but just not moving. Yeah. That one's hard too, because we have a culture that has a like word for laziness. And listen, there is like something definitely very cozy about like not doing stuff sometimes, but I think considering that, oh, I'm I'm lazy because I don't want to get up today is a really easy way to ignore that, like, you know you need to do something and you're not capable of getting up and doing it. And, yeah. again, this, this doesn't matter, matter on this, yeah. like, this, the, you know, the standard of living, like, the spectrum and, like, your quality of life of, like, okay, if you're doing it sometimes, maybe you're just tired and you don't want to get up right then. But if sure. it's happening a lot and it's happening really consistently and it's happening with things that you need to do to take care of yourself or your home or your job or your family, uh, it might be time to look at why you're doing that. Yeah. And it's executive dysfunction. Isn't just a matter of like, I don't have any reason to not get up. It's just like, I literally, there's nothing holding me down. I'm not tired. I'm not like too involved in whatever I'm watching you know maybe I'm like watching tv and scrolling through reddit and texting people it's like I have no reason to be sitting here but I just I feel like I'm glued to this damn couch yeah you just or whatever service you're sitting on yeah you're just I don't know it, it feels very like I feel like a stone when that happens like I'm just like yes. immovable <laughs> yeah but this also kind of ties a little bit into um an inability to make decisions which uh is really common like you were saying earlier especially if it's coupled with an excessive amount of stress if you force yourself to make decisions, huge red flag. So, like, not not knowing where to eat, like, that's a pretty common thing that you can't make a decision on. But, like, deciding whether or not you want to brush your hair first or brush your teeth first and, like, feeling stressed about that, maybe that's not the most rational reaction and that's something you should pay attention to. That's a really good point because it's those little things, too, where you're just, like... These are small indicators, but if they're all small indicators, they're really easy to ignore until you put all of them together. And putting them all together is a really good way to serve yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which also ties into forgetting to do, like, super basic self-care things. Yes. Like, forgetting to shower, to eat, to go pee. Um, This could be twofold. It could be either you're completely ignoring your body's signals to do these things, like you feel you have a full bladder and you need to go pee. Or your body is depressive to the point where it's not even sending you the signals. So, like, you've gone 18 hours without eating and you don't even freaking realize it. And then you're like, wait, when was the last time I ate? Yeah. Or took a shower or brushed my teeth? Yeah. And you can't even remember? Like, that's kind of a problem because your body is now not doing its most basic functions. Yeah. So like, I have a really chronic problem with not ever going to the bathroom until I'm, like, desperate. And also mm-hmm. forgetting to eat for a really long time. Being like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of in the realm of terms, but uh, like I said, I was talk- I was looking into trauma and its like effects on how we process our depression or if we do. And um, I saw a lot too about intergenerational trauma um, and childhood trauma. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think intergenerational trauma is uh, maybe a little bit... Not misunderstood, but it's like a relatively new exploration of this concept. Okay, so it's an untreated trauma transmitted to a child through the attachment bond, messaging about self, the world, safety, and danger. And this is from the parent, right? So if the parent has experienced trauma or 
um, the grandparent even has experienced trauma, um, and the way that they translate it to this to their child is not really even something that they're aware of. It is just through their own coping mechanisms and how those reflect to the child, and the the kid sees the world that way as well. Will mm-hmm. build a lot of habits that might have those same traumas end up happening to that child. So, for example, if you talk about how ugly you think you are in front of your child, that child's probably going to talk about themselves that way, too. Absolutely, because they know they know about those. So, and obviously, yeah, intergenerational trauma is, like, it's more about trauma. But those that's the exact training and socializing that takes those concepts from one generation to the next, right? Absolutely. So, in those <laughs> transferences, basically, your kid is already off to a not great start, right? And if your trauma was a childhood trauma and you're creating an environment, which does happen a lot, especially I think with like um, physical abuse, especially with discipline, is we're taught a lot about how, you know, like, well, that's how I was raised and I turned out great. And it's like, well, no, you, um, you survived and you're fine and now. And that and you're doesn't, perpetuating the you're same thing. perpetuating the same abuse because you think that like because it happened to you that must make it okay because that's your way of making it okay because if it's not okay then why was that done to you and that's a really really hard thing to sit with and like the first time I asked myself that and I first time I started asking myself those questions um I had my own breakdown because I realized that like I've never really considered that like concept of like your inner child like I don't And obviously, I know everybody has one, but, like, I already have childlike wonder about basically fucking everything on the planet. So (laughs) I don't really, like, consider my inner child, like, a separate entity. But I was thinking the other day about how part of maybe my reactions of, like, my defenses being, like, anger and being quick to, like, create, like, something that will make people, like, get away from me. And, like, that's how I defend that inner child is that knowing that the situations that I was put in and the traumas that I am thinking of when I'm talking about this are not the result of, like, malicious intent from my parent. They are they are from pure, like, n- neglect and inability to fulfill those needs, right? So when you, when you look at it like that and you have to... When you have to face the fact that you are being protective of an inner child that is still hurting, it basically makes you feel like that inner child. And you're just... It just made me really sad. Like, does that make sense? Like... The, Absolutely. the like mood it put me in didn't feel like when I'm, you know, like now I've been, you know, grieving my uncle through a pandemic and like he was an absolute, like he was so, so important to me and like having that other kind of adult grief and depression and like all of the things that we sit with, with, with this pandemic and with just like how life is going in general, it felt so different. It felt like such a like panicked, just fear. And I immediately was like, oh, this is that inner child. And I like had this like moment of like, oh my God, like my goal, my like purpose is to protect this inner child and make sure that like there's no other inner child this happens to, especially one that I can influence or like have an impact on. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's breaking, breaking those cycles. Yeah, I never feel uh, more of like the presence of my inner child and needing to protect it than I when I am around my parents because mm. they still very much treat me like their child as you know as I am yeah but I'm also 31 years old and I'm a grown adult and I have my own life and my own process sometimes yes. it's sweet and endearing but in other ways it can be really oppressive yeah and um especially this year it's been more on the oppressive scale than the endearing scale and it's been really really hard to navigate that because not only do you feel like this abundance of need to protect yourself but you also feel like that child so you feel like you have no power and you have no voice and so it's like this weird cognitive dissonance of knowing that you have a voice but you are reverting back to this 
this state of you're my parent it's the and therefore my superior dude the regression the regression that these traumas bring on is unfucking believable like i you know too as somebody who is in therapy like we both understand that you it, it's not that you can change the essence of who you are it's that if there are flaws or there are things that you want to work with you can do that. It takes a lot of inner work. It takes a lot of examination. It takes a lot of unpacking, but you can do that work. And I'm usually fairly proud of the person that I can be, even in stressful situations. But when it's my mom, when it's something to do with my, like, and it's my relationship with her, first of all, we already don't have a, like, normal relationship because it's a super codependent, very, like, us against the world, like, that was the mentality of my entire life, that... I saw this thing when one of the quotes I saw in this article was that like one of her ways of realizing that she needed to like unpack these traumas was realizing she didn't know where she began and her mom ended. And I've never related to something more in my life. And like that concept really makes it difficult to treat these people with the same calm that you've been practicing in therapy, right? All of these great traits that you've been working on go out the fucking window because Ooh, you just turned back into eight-year-old you, and there's... Yeah. Setting ba- setting boundaries with yourself, substantially easier than setting boundaries with other people, especially if that person is very, very close in your life and a big impact in your life, and either a parental figure or a significant other. You can do self-work all day, every day, and have the discipline to do it, but the second that you involve another human's mind and, you know, self-will... Yeah. Involvement, presence, effect, everything. <laughs> fucking hard as hell square fucking one no you're right back it's not and it's not that none of the work you did is worth anything it's that this is a whole other ball game like dealing with your own shit in a vacuum is one thing but then putting in all those other people who probably had to do with like those traumas and in your life just like even their presence of like helping you or exacerbating that situation like just like you said that's it it's it starts it completely over it's very 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 difficult and sometimes you know uh some days you can do it, and some days you just fucking can't. I mean, it also it weighs heavily on your own self-work, too, because those people, obviously their opinions matter to you. That's why they're so close to you in your life. And so when they have a negative reaction to you trying to set a boundary, it makes you question your boundaries. It makes you question your self-work. I mean, it's just, it's all just this one big snowball of shit. You know, honestly, my, my coping mechanism with my parents has been to kind of distance myself, which is not the healthiest. But it's also given me kind of some perspective because they have been so involved in my life prior to this. But I've, you know, I've just been focusing a lot on my own coping and my own uh, adaptation to this new world. And I have a ton of coping mechanisms and I don't always do them all the time. And that's another indicator of me being depressed is I'm not dealing with my my stuff and not doing any of my coping (laughs) mechanisms. Um, But yeah, I just try to take it one day at a time to begin with you know yeah it's it's like again it's rough with parents because you want to distance yourself but then there's well and i'm sure that from their perspective too they'll always be your parent and their goal in life will always be to protect you and so they've got this kind of upper hand in how they view you and that they think they know better than you do and they know you better than you do it's unshakable unshakable i've never met a parent who is willing to just fucking chill (laughs) even i'm like I'm like, dude, okay, especially, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, in this codependent household, I was the English speaker, right? So in our structure, having 
Having the authority to fill out all of the documents, register us for everything, help with taxes, fill out our fucking visa, everything, everything, everything. Honestly, I'm not, I shouldn't bust my mom out like this, but like also doing her homework a lot of the time when she was in school. <laughs> so like there's a lot of help in that structure that is not normal and gives you a lot of assertion in the way that and it's not that I like asserted myself in the family it's that I had a lot of confidence in being able to take care of us and then having her still be the upper hand with authority with my schedule with anything that I would all of the boundaries that she had for me did not take into account the role that she also asked of me in my help right so there was like oh, I trust you enough to do this but I'm still going to treat you like a fucking kid and like I, I think every parent does that to an extent but it is endlessly frustrated and I'm sure honestly I don't know about your parents relationship with their parents but like they probably have something similar to say you know like I think everybody's parents have like <laughs> one of my parents had an insanely traumatic childhood that she should have been in therapy from like age six on um it's it's an it's apparent to me that everyone had trauma in their in their history you know and that back yeah, in the day absolutely. back Which, in the day yes. you didn't talk about it you didn't do anything about it if you went to therapy it's Trauma yeah, was life. If you went to therapy, it was because you had something like schizophrenia or some extreme, extreme mental health problem. You didn't go because you were trying to cope with normal life, and it was so shamed and so frowned upon, and I'm sure there's lots of places in the world that are still with that mentality, but that's not where we're at now, you know? That's not where you and I are at with this podcast right now. That's not the space we're at. Sometimes I wonder if, like, if you ever, if you walked around calling it physical therapy just to trick people into the conversation, how many more conversations you would have about or it? Just because that even, is so much more acceptable. Like, you know, call it uh, life coaching or call it self-work or call it um, mental de-stressing or call it, uh, yeah. Self-care, uh, <laughs> honestly. Detoxing my brain. People are real big into detoxes, like we need those. And, you know, that could... Yeah. I have a great detox for you, Katie. It's called therapy. Oh, wait. I think you already have it. It's yeah, your fucking your kidneys. Yeah. Those in your liver? You know, that, in your, that in your bladder? That detox your body. Sorry. That's a whole other episode <laughs> that we can get into. That's a whole other episode. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> On that note. Um, see, that's another thing, too, is, like, that's, we both sound a lot happier, and this is a thing, like, coping mechanism. I did feel myself withdrawing, and I love recording with you, because I feel like it's this chance to reconnect with people around you and remember that there's yeah. still a world out there. That's one of the, I think, the biggest things that's been such a savior for me with this pandemic has been Zoom calls or FaceTime. Like, <laughs> yeah, this, this, any opportunity that I can get to Zoom, Zoom with my best friends, I'm, I'm going to take it, or my family, or whomever. That's been one of the biggest things. Or even just talking on the phone. Having a legitimate conversation that's not via text, where you can't just, like, be always on and pithy and, and clever. Like, have a real, real conversation. Yeah. So huge. It's And it's honestly, I think we had already started to step away from that as much because of how... I don't know. I, w I would call it like a flaky culture of like being able to text someone and be like, we should hang out sometime! And then yeah. not ever having to do it. And now we're like, look, I know none of us yeah. got shit going on. And I saw that you got my message about the Zoom call, so, like, show the fuck up yeah. and, like, drink we a beer with like us. We all look like shit. I don't care if you're in your PJs for the next five straight days and you haven't washed your hair. I still just... I don't even I know if you wear pants. I just want to see your face Who and cares? have, like, a... See facial mm -hmm. expressions for once with people I'm talking to. Yeah. It yeah. Feels, it feels yeah, it good. It feels good. good. <laughs> 2020. 2020. <laughs> God, I can't... 
Ugh. <laughs> I, I always want to say I can't wait for this year to be over. But I don't think they... The, but it doesn't change on New Year's. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens in November. I feel like the end of November will look very different than the beginning of November. So we'll mm. see. But aside from that, um, coping mechanisms are yeah. definitely on the table for the next I think at least the, couple uh, of months. The biggest piece of advice I can give you with coping mechanisms is to try to be as kind to yourself as you possibly can. Listen to your inner dialogue. Um, tell that asshole in your head to shut up. And listen to that sweet, sweet baby angel in there that's, you know, still supportive of you and thinks you're the greatest person ever. And be kind. Be kind to yourself. If you don't get everything done one day, you don't get everything done with it one day, you know? Some of the best advice that I think you gave me was, um, and it was about, it was about giving advice or actually making a decision, which is funny because I couldn't make a decision probably because I'm still not dealing with my depression. Um, <laughs> but when it, some of the best advice that you ever gave me was that, if you wouldn't say it to your best friend, why mm-hmm. would you say it to yourself? Or it was, I think you framed it as what advice would yeah. you give your best friend? But I also, that I think also applies Absolutely. to how you talk to yourself. And I, it's a really, really good tool to have that in the back of your mind of like, when you catch yourself saying things like that, I really try to remind myself that I'm like, all right, if this was, you know, blank, would I ever dare say that about Absolutely. the way that they made that thing? Like, yeah, and it's been a big help in realizing that you have kindness. You have kindness for other people, yes, and you also absolutely. deserve it. We are our own biggest critics, and if it's the one person you love most in this world, how would you talk to them about the situation? Or how would you tell them what they're saying about themselves is untrue, and what's the, what's the actual truth? Exactly. Um, that's definitely a great, great thing to keep in mind. Um, another thing that's really been beneficial for me, and I don't know about you, but it has been taking a break from social media and the news. Like, we get it. We all know what's going on. Just take four days off. Four. That's it. Four days. Don't look at any of it. Delete it from your phone. Minimize the, you know, turn off the TV. Watch, you know, Friends or The Simpsons, whatever. Just don't engage. Can can I suggest a a notification purge, too? Like, go to your settings. Um, I'm not... I'm... (laughs) I have a master's in journalism. I understand the importance of being informed. I value the news. But the 24-hour news cycle has broken society. Um, You don't need it. You absolutely do not need it. If you have your local alerts turned on in case there's, like, an actual emergency around you and you can contact friends and family, you do not need to be on a constant drip of stress and sorrow. Like, you just fucking don't. Uh, Maybe... Go back to what we did at night and, like, make a time of, like, all right, six to seven. I'm going to doom scroll. I'm going to find out everything that I missed today. Um, Websites have made that very easy. Meme culture has made that very easy. You just don't need to be doing it all day. And it's a really good way to just drain the shit out of yourself. Limit it to a certain period of time, like, 30 minutes before dinner. I'm going to just fucking go for it. I'm going to look at all of my news sites, look at Reddit, look at Instagram, look at whatever, and just fucking go for it. I think you'll come to understand that you can get caught up on everything that happened in that world in that 30 minutes and you don't need to be on here five hours a day scrolling mindlessly seeing this over and over and over this flood of negative information in your life and the reactions to reactions to reactions to reactions videos are it's and I'm not just not the videos I'm saying like the news cycle right where you read the story and what you're saying is that 30 minutes is enough to process that those five hours are enough time for you to then go through and marinate and all that shit and watch people's videos on it and their personal reactions and like 
that shit is traumatizing. Watching live videos of like the Lebanese oh. explosion, like don't. These are not normal circumstances, and we do need to know. And I'm not saying shield yourself, but you need to not be on a 24 yeah. hour when, news cycle. I just when was don't the last recommend time that, that. Something happened in the world that was so important for you to know immediately that um, it was good that you were on the news cycle. The last time I can remember something that actually happened within this world that directly impacted my day right then and there, and it was barely there, was 9-11. Yeah, I'm trying to think, because I, I, obviously the news impacts us, and we, you know, we but connect with the people that we see hurting, but, but I'm saying, like, what you, like, I need to go somewhere else today, yeah. I need to go, do, like, that type of immediacy and the amount of um, really big news, I don't really know if there has been... And obviously that will differ if you yeah. live in a different city, but I like, cause sure. there are, you know, there's local tragedies and stuff, but what we're talking about is the fact that like, <laughs> it's not natural to be yeah. this exposed to our Has, it, has there been a difference in the, the last 20 years between knowing something the minute it happens and knowing it six hours later? No, I'm guaranteeing you that it probably wasn't. You just weren't the first one to know about it. That's how it impacted you. So take a break. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take a break. If something big is happening in the world, I guarantee you're going to hear about it anyway. I think that's the thing, too, is that because of how permeate, like, how saturated it is, um, the things that are that emergent, yeah. you will find out about. Like, it's it's not something that... And honestly, we live in an age where my phone, when it's, you know, someone has been kidnapped or there is something going on in my neighborhood, my phone will text me. And I don't even know who the... I don't know who yeah. the message is coming from. It's Sometimes it's emergency services. Sometimes it's, like, you don't know. Sometimes yeah. it's Apple. And that is a cool thing that happens but it also goes to show you do not need to be on a 24-hour news cycle um on that note another coping mechanism i have (laughs) is to take deep breaths and that sounds so simple (sighs) but it honestly truly helps if you think you're about to have a panic attack if you're stressing about something just stop and focus on your breathing for four breaths Hold them in for four seconds. Exhale for four seconds. It's that simple. Rule of four. Just try it. Let's take okay. let's take another Ready? one. See, I feel so much better already. Two breaths right there. Right? I just wanted to make time for it while people were listening because I know when people do that, I will inadvertently yeah. also do breathe in with them. Ready? So I hope... One more in. I hope... Okay. Okay. Got I love that you and I are both smiling so big right now. I know, because this is quality airtime. Airtime. Oh, airtime. That was good. Maybe we should patent that and just yeah. call it quality airtime. And like. And the end of our episodes, we're going to have a quality airtime together. Where we'll release a bunch of CO2 mm-hmm. in the day. I love it. The rest of it won't be, but the last two minutes will be quality airtime. free things, some ASMR for your ear, lovely ears. You better get in on it. Get on this deep breathing <laughs> relaxation. Okay, what other techniques uh, you stretching? got? I always underestimate mm. the power of stretching. Even if it's just... It just stretching feels so freaking good. And nobody on this planet, I believe, yeah. ever does it enough. Except for maybe, like, professional I don't think you can. Or, like, yogis. Yeah. Yogis probably stretch enough. Yeah, that's true. But I just think that there's there's no amount of limberness that you, like, can't get to. So I just feel like... As soon as you're just, like, done warming up one area, you could just go back yeah. to warming up another. Like, you it's can literally just, like, just stretch all fucking day. It feels great. Muscles, and they deserve it because they take care of you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it literally, especially, too, if you are, if you've got, like, rollers or you're doing, like, you know, good stretches, you can 
release a lot Absolutely. of tension and a lot of those mm-hmm. bad hormones and um, chemicals that yep. are stuck yep. in your muscles too. Um, another one is hydrating. So uh, drink some damn water. I know I'm completely guilty <laughs> of not ever drinking enough water. Uh, our waters are primarily water-based, or our bodies, sorry, our water. Our bodies are primarily our water-based, water. so we probably need more water than we ever get. Obviously don't yes. do it because water toxicity is a real thing. It's not really a joke, but it's kind of a thing that he started doing as a pattern, and then I noticed it and it became a joke. Um, about a few summers ago, Sam started asking me if I wanted water basically any time I was a little bit sassy or like gave him a response that wasn't like super just like <laughs> and I didn't want to admit it because I'm not going to be like oh you you can tell my mood and I'm like I'm just cranky but he was actually right like 95% of the time and as soon as I would have the water I would feel like Crazy. 10 times better than I was <laughs> before he asked me and it felt silly and I felt a little bit too I don't know you know when people have you figured out better yeah, more you, than like, you're comfortable get with mad about <laughs> like, you don't know me like, this well you're not supposed yeah, to Yeah, exactly. That. You don't, yeah. you, you didn't notice a, that. Shut up. I'm more complicated yeah. than a creature. It's, I'm not that simple. I'm complex and you'll never understand me. Yeah, exactly. Except he was just like, yeah, okay, but just drink the water. Yeah. And then I just feel um, better. Another one is eating healthy yeah. and well-balanced meals. So this one's a lot hard for a lot of people, understandably, because healthy and well-balanced sounds like such a boring meal concept. But the way that I view this is eat the foods that make you feel happy. So... And not just, like, in the moment, like, for hours afterwards. So, like, McDonald's makes me feel happy in the moment, sure. But the second I'm done eating, I feel like shit for a long time. What makes me feel great, though, is, like, hummus and cucumber together. Like, I'm happy to eat Mm -hmm. that, and it makes me feel happy afterward. So, like, seek out the foods that make you feel happy long term and eat those. Because I truly believe that your body knows what it needs. And so when it has has cravings, um, there's validity in those cravings. Whether it be, like, a mental health trigger that you need to listen to, or it be, like, I'm not getting enough of this vitamin that you should listen to, those cravings are super important to listen to, and um, they can, you know, you can supplement unhealthy cravings for healthier cravings. So, like, if I'm craving potato chips, I probably need a little bit more salt in my diet. Oh, yeah, especially because it's, like, crunchy and salty, and it's, those things are also, those foods, those snack foods are designed to hit those same chemicals for you that salt hit or that sugar hit if you have a sweet tooth like they know that and they play on that like mcdonald's very well knows that the bubble of their soda with the salt of their fries is like (laughs) it's manna from right so but then again again i'm telling you dude remember that stomach ache after because i never feel good after so like if you're craving potato chips even just taking a baby step up to like veggie chips like that's a step in the right direction Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, I'm craving potato chips, so I'm going to have, like, this way far quinoa fucking salad. Like, nobody in their right mind is going to jump from potato chips to quinoa. This is not going to happen. What about, like, a pretzel? I feel like a pretzel's... Because it's... I feel like having something crunchy is good for that craving. just something that's a step in the right direction, that's step healthier. Just slowly taking those baby steps over time. Because, listen, you don't need to... Maybe baked chips. Yeah, you don't need to change your diet today. (laughs) You've got years to work on it. But as long as you consistently work on it and improve it every day a little bit at a time like this should not be like a black and white sort of thing it should be like a, a gradual scale of how you improve your diet that's just my philosophy though it's like no i abs- i agree with you like I going mean, no carb when you're a huge carb fiend probably not going to be successful for you but finding well plus you need carbs yeah absolutely <laughs> another another episode 
But um, you know, another episode. <laughs> gradually finding more substantial carbs to replace like the plain white bread that you're eating consistently is something that can be replaced that you will still enjoy that will fulfill that craving for the carb but will be better for you and make that's the thing too is when you're talking about well you'll feel better hours after like I think of you know taking the time to cook a good meal and like put things in it that I know are good for me and taste good because I mean people just people had better relationships with herbs and seasoning I feel like a lot of this wouldn't be as complicated for a lot of folks because you can that's magic but um the time that you take to do that is time that you're taking care of yourself and then when that food tastes good and it doesn't make you feel awful afterwards, you can still be happy about it when you're thinking about Absolutely. it later. Because if I'm thinking about the pizza that I ate last night and I'm thinking about it the next morning, I'm probably thinking about my heartburn and not much else because yeah. I'm 31 and, and that's what I get now. Yeah. Exactly. And how you ate a whole bunch of cheese and it made you feel like a heavy block of cheese yourself. Exactly. Well, although I'm sure it was delicious, but worth mm, it long term. Cheddar. Yeah. Um, but that also, you know, same vein exercise. Like I'm not saying go to the gym and start doing squats every day. I'm saying get off the couch and walk around your house for three laps or walk around the block once or a small change a day. Something, something super small. That's not being sedentary. Like that's as simple as it gets. And then you eventually over time build up to going for a 30 minute walk or going for an hour long walk or whatever it may be. So it's not these these huge, huge jumps into this picture-perfect cookie-cutter lifestyle of, like, the, you know, the messiah of health. It's, it's <laughs> taking these baby steps on how to improve your little bits of your life. And also, when you're outside, you're getting vitamin D, which is super, super important. And yes. wear sunblock, because your skin is important and beautiful and deserves to be protected. And your biggest organ. Yeah. Anytime I think of it as one big organ, I get kind of grossed out, though. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with, like, thinking about the tongue and how that's the strongest muscle in your body. And how far it goes down. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Totally agreed. I hate it. And then also, you know, tying into that, avoiding alcohol and drugs. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, I didn't notice it when I was super younger, but I have noticed when we, you know, especially now in (laughs) pandemic times, it's not that we're problematically drinking, but you just have more time to like have a beer at the, you know, especially it's been 100 degrees here. You don't have to go anywhere. Um, I, as I get older, it affects my mood more and not even in the moment. Obviously your behavior changes in the moment, but like a day or two after I feel like shit Mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's the physical, but it also is like, I just feel down. Yeah. Well, alcohol is a depressant. I don't know if anyone knows that, but, uh, uh, even if you dance on the table, it's still a depressant. I promise. It depresses your systems. So Mm -hmm. don't do that. So one thing that I also learned from my therapist that I started implementing and has actually helped like crazy. So when you are going to bed at night, she said that I should recount the positive things that happened. So like keep a little journal and write down like one to three things that were positive that happened. Because what happens is when you think about them again in your mind right before you go to bed, they imprint a lot deeper. And so that um, you're more likely to remember the positives of that day because you thought of them again than you are to remember the negatives. Interesting. Even if it's something as small as like my dog, something super cute. And I want to remember that. Write that down. So like every night, just write down one positive thing that happened that you were like stoked on. I love that. Especially, too, because that makes a lot of sense for, you know, stress thinking about things before you go to bed and then waking up and, like, not the best mood. You're doing the same thing. Absolutely. So that one's kind of... That's um, good advice. A little off 
the rails in terms of like what's commonly prescribed, but uh, I've definitely noticed help with that. And then also having um, an affirmation or a mantra that you repeat in the mirror feels super weird, but actually works. So okay, uh, I've heard that and I've never done it, and I've always been. Listen, curious you don't have to say it out loud. You can like whisper it to yourself, but just like making the deliberate act of like sitting, standing, staring at yourself in the the mirror. And saying this line every day, it, like, actually does wonders and it starts to really kind of, you know, stick in your mind and you believe it. It's super weird. It feels super weird. But, but it's it so makes great. a lot of sense. It's You hear those things. It's the things that you imprint on your brain. It's the same reason that we internalize the, like, negative criticisms that Absolutely. we hear. Because we hear them. Yeah. And it, it, for me, it's been things like, um, I am beautiful and worthy of love. Um, I deserve, you know, X, Y, Z in my life, or it it could be like happiness or this job or this promotion or whatever, just kind of like reaffirming yourself that you are deserving of these things and you are worthy of happiness and, you know, self love and all that kind of stuff. Also worthy of pursuing them. Cause that's a hard one for me of like, Oh, who, who am I to even, right. That dialogue stuck. Yeah. Don't do that. I'm allowed to talk about depression on this podcast because I have experience with it. Mm -hmm. Shut up, imposter syndrome. I know I'm not a therapist. (laughs) Hush. Exactly. (laughs) But that's why we said that at the beginning. Because we know. We're not qualified. We're not licensed. But we have lots of experience. We just love you. And we love you. And we want to share our many hours of self-work and therapy. Yeah. Which is another thing. Therapy, if you can afford it. I know it's super pricey also look for look for sliding scale shit though because there's a lot of people out there who also understand the accessibility of therapy and are willing to work with you it's obviously not super common and i know this is not in a lot of people's budgets but there are therapists out there that are willing to work with you um there's like income-based sliding scales there are honestly there's covid relief therapy right now that there's a lot out there and there's a lot of options too and again if you're I mean, I was in, in traditional in-person therapy, but I don't know about you. All of my stuff is on FaceTime now. Yep. So um, she, I know some people have gone back, but if you're not comfortable with that, you can still do it distance. Yeah, I do Zoom calls now, which is, yeah. they're just as effective. Yeah, I, I just like I feel like I'm sitting here talking with you. That's, you know, that's yeah. how I feel with my therapist. Um, another one would be to, oh, so pandemic specific get into a routine that mirrors what would be your routine outside of this pandemic. So okay. don't be waking up one minute before your alarm goes off for work, wearing sweatpants all day long, if not for multiple days in a row, never doing your hair, not brushing your teeth. Try to get into back into what you would be normally doing if this weren't a pandemic. The amount of, of difference you feel in changing your clothes is honestly stupid. I've been getting like I've been getting dressed almost every day this week and it's made a substantial impact in how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've like fought off depression like swinging a, a skirt and crop top over my head because I literally just like make myself get dressed <laughs> every day and just pretend I'm like doing something. Mm-hmm. Um I've given up on the jeans though. That shit got uncomfortable. Yeah, I have um, really really stretchy jeans, so it's not as <clears throat> bad. Ooh. But Yeah. Yeah. But it's, that's the thing. It makes a big difference. It makes you feel, I don't know, especially if you just need to step out the door, right? Like take out the trash, go look at a, you know, I'm looking at my plans, I'm doing whatever. 
um, running to get the mail, those types of things, just feeling like you're not this like person coming out of their cave to like run out and do it and sweat. Like it just, it feels good being able to do that just that one time and don't hold yourself to a super high standard of it, but just get out. It does feel good sometimes. Get out of that golem life and get back into your Smeagol life. Yes. So I actually had to do like an, an unth, like a, a bat, like I had to change my thinking about it and flip it completely because I was about to put a bra on this morning. And then I realized that there has been research that shows that it's better for you to not because that helps the muscles like actually maintain their strength versus like never having to carry the weight of your boobs. Mm. Um, so I realized that I was wearing them out in society because like I just didn't want them flapping around. Right. And at home is a perfect time to not do that. So I was about to, I was like about to put one on to be like, yeah, I'm feel ready for my day. This is good. But the best time to train these titties to stay up is during COVID because I don't need to wear it and they can get strong Absolutely. and I can flop around wherever I want. I support it. Thank you. Honestly, if we could normalize I su- that. Wearing... I support these on my own. <laughs> Honestly, if we, if we could normalize <laughs> not wearing bras, that'd be great too. Like why are people yeah, so afraid it's... of nipples? I get over know. it. Everyone know. has them, Get even men, it. when they're pointless. Yes. So. <laughs> I gotta I gotta send you a video about pointless men nipples. It's the funniest thing I've ever... It's a TikTok. I'm sure there's some listener that knows what I'm talking about, but I'll okay. send it to you. Okay. <laughs> um, the one that I have that's uh, pandemic-specific is to create really small goals in a checklist and knock them out. Literally, it could yes. be get out of bed. Check. Put on clean socks. Check. Brush check. your teeth. Check. Um, start the pot of coffee. Check. You know. Write this list. Yeah. Check. Yeah. Done. Already done. <laughs> um, think of that episode of The Office where Michael Scott has started the Michael Scott Paper Company. And Pam's like, <laughs> here's here's Wake a up. checklist. Um, get dressed. Boom. We are. Have a great breakfast. We've already done that. Create a checklist that's going to benefit you immediately. That you will feel like you've accomplished something anything that day that are like super Mm -hmm. small things it could be like take out the garbage in the bathroom not the whole house just the bathroom the whole house just one room because then tomorrow you can do another room and it won't get out of hand i think that's a big thing too and then by the time trash day's here all of the garbage will be taken out and you don't have to look stress about it and run around at five in the morning. Look at what you did you took out all the garbage who's the best garbage taker Um, another one that I wrote on here, which is not only pandemic specific, but life specific is allow yourself a good cry, but only in the shower. And here's why. One. Okay. Nobody's around you probably when you're crying in the shower. Two, the noise of the shower is going to muffle your cries. Three, if someone (laughs) should walk in and see you and you have tears on your face, you could just say it's water from the shower. And then four, (laughs) there's going to be a time limit on your shower that eventually you're going to have to get out. Otherwise, you're going to start looking like, you know, pruny, McPrunison with, you know, pruny fingers everywhere. And so that that will be your timer to end the good cry. Okay. I'm behind the timer. Um, Hiding to cry, I will not advocate for. But the timer that your shower is, I will absolutely support. I'm all for people crying wherever the fuck they feel like it because you're entitled to do that and allowed to do that. And nobody can tell you otherwise. But I've just found that, like... Maybe have a... Sh- the cr- the sh- have you ever had a show you cry to? Uh, yeah. This is us. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then do you just, like, give yourself that hour and, like, it... Oh, yeah. Is I, more I allow the waterworks, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think that's the thing is there's that, there's that type of cry we do where we kind of, like, hold on to it and we don't want to let it out. 
let it the fuck yeah. out. No, like, but that's why I, I support the shower because like you can it's howl. A, it's a safe space where you can just let it the fuck go. That's actually a really good and point. And fuck anyone's right. opinion about that if they want to give you judgment for crying. But I just feel like it's such a calming space. Then you too. make them cry. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. No. But um, it's just also kind of like a calming space. You know, you have like this warm water on you. Like it's isolated. It's a safe place. I yeah. Don't know. I'm just no, you're absolutely right. Sharp. And it's plus two. Um, let's not underestimate the wombness of like being in a small space mm-hmm. that has like warm mm-hmm. water. Like it probably just feels safer. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm on that. I'm on that train. Shower cries are always my best cries. Okay. I would say car cries, but car cries are super dangerous, and I don't support those. Dude, thank you. Car cries are super cathartic, but I I panic and I pull over because I wear contacts. That is not something I can fuck yeah. with. Like, like I've had car cries where I'm like, I need to pull over. I'm going to bur- like kill someone. This is not good. Yeah, this. Yeah, mm-mm. so uh, car cries are not great, but shower cries always such a good cry. And you're right there, and you've That's got a- like something to wash your face off immediately with. Yeah, and you can let the snot run, yeah. too. That's like, a... you can be ugly, ugly crying in there, and it doesn't matter yeah. because it's all just going to immediately wash off of you. Yeah. And it's going to, I don't know, I mean, that's that's an that's an extra level of renewal from your shower, yep. right? And you come out, like, clean. You've taken a shower that day. Your hair is probably a little bit cleaner, if you, even if you didn't shampoo it. You got all your tears yeah. out. The, the makeup's already washed off your face if you had makeup on and you cried it out. Like, you're, like, a whole new person after this shower. You're cry. a whole new person. Yes. Yeah. Power cry, shower cries. Power shower cries. Shower cries. I power cries. That's <laughs> yes, they are. Shower power. Shower power. <laughs> Baths don't translate the same, because then you're literally mm-hmm. just sitting nope. in your tears, and it's like a lot more depressing. Yeah, that's that's grim. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like maybe baths, but baths are that's sad. That just makes me you're more. You're literally sad. just in a. a you want to kind of. Yeah, and then you can kind of stay longer because you're just sitting in it. Again, the pruniness. But in a shower, like, I get uncomfortable. There's only so long I can... No, I'm sorry. I don't want to touch the walls. I don't want to lean on anything. No, thank you. Yeah. So, shower cries. You know, if I'm leaning over to stop. Big supporter of shower cries. Yeah. So, those are my simple... Well, <clears throat> kind of simple coping mechanisms that anyone could do now in this pandemic. It's just like, yeah, you know, I... date yourself, man. Treat yourself how you would treat Dude. a significant other. Also, really, really graciously take up some kind of craft. Like, start drawing, start doodling, start just start something writing. that doesn't take a lot of resources. Brain yeah, dump, honestly, man. pen and paper is anything. Like, writing or drawing, I think, are such easy ways to, um, like, create catharsis for yourself yeah. and create, like, a, a more peaceful headspace And honestly, yourself. if you don't know how to start with those things, just start writing down the exact fucking words you're thinking and get that out of your head. Brain dump onto a piece yeah. of paper. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be a story with a beginning, middle, and end. It doesn't have to... It could be a list. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a full-on sentence. It could just be, like, a uh, delete button, a uh, hair tie, you know, LaCroix, whatever. It could just be get those words out of your head and on paper... And just start writing. Writing until your hand hurts, you know? It's it's yeah. oddly cathartic. It's very, very underestimated, I think, because we just don't have a strong relationship with writing um, in general. Um, but practice your cursive. As someone who loves writing is... It's, oh, practicing your cursive is good because it's, it's like you get more productive and better at something that you're practicing. It's easy and it takes... Uh, I, one of the things I was going to suggest when you said to um, have like a small checklist and have like small attainable tasks was... I really like to do something specifically with my hands, right? Like make, you know, um, like do the dishes or make make some type of food or do some kind of craft because it 
pulling myself out of my head and doing something with my hands makes me have to focus on something else. So specifically that I think always really helps me yeah, too. Absolutely. People are very tactile human beings. I mean, you think back to back in the day when we had to build our own shelter and forage for our own food and, you know, weave our own clothing and baskets and whatever. Um, you know, I think human beings, the reason why we have so much ability with our hands is because we're supposed to be using them. That's a really, really insightful way to think of that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. That's why I, I love, uh, sorry. To, <laughs> that's why we're so, that's why, they, so, that's why they're so fingery. Totally, totally going to derail this, but like, that's why I love raccoons so much because they use their hands all the time. Their little hands. Like they scoop things all the time with their hands. So my mom. Their hands. Oh. My mom has this raccoon that goes to her house and eats the dry cat food that she leaves outside for the stray cats. And uh-huh. every time after they're done eating, they go over to their pool and wash their hands. And it's like the cutest <laughs> oh things I've my. ever heard in my whole life. That is the sweetest thing ever. I'm just thinking of that video of that raccoon that, like, runs into that garage and grabs a handful of dog food from that dog who's just, like, too bewildered to do anything. And he just has, like, a scoop in his hand and he, like, runs away. (laughs) Runs away on two legs. That's what kills me is he's got the hands and he's just... (laughs) Yes, I love that. It's like a little person. Yeah, my my first pet was a hamster and uh, seeing that he just had... The t- like, they just have tiny, tiny little hands, right? Their paws are, you know, they have full thumbs. So seeing how his hands were just, like, fully functional hands at that size, I think was, like, a good lesson about just, like, creatures in general when I was a kid. I'm just like, no, dude, a lot of things are much more like you than they are different. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. But we look at how much those people or those creatures use their hands. Yeah. Anyway, use your hands. Survival. Yes. We'll get through this. Thrival. You're allowed to feel exactly how you feel and you're validated in that feeling. Absolutely. So again, just because all of these are coping mechanisms, we're not saying that you need to like get out of this feeling right away if you are feeling it. Um, It's just good to acknowledge it and it's good to sit with it and work on it and not treat it as something that's bigger than you. It's a part of you and it does need to be dealt with, but it's not bigger than you. No, it's not unmanageable. And yeah. if it's something, it feels like it is, um, we implore you to seek help in any way that we can. And we will include numbers and websites for that Absolutely. in the post that is um, linked to this Absolutely. episode. Absolutely. And we're here for you too. I mean, obviously we're not qualified, but we love to listen and we're good listeners and obviously good talkers because we have a fucking podcast, yeah. but... Um, and I don't really know if people know this, but the podcast actually has a phone line. So you can, if you go to our Instagram, there's a phone line on there and it's a Google number for us and it takes messages and it takes texts and you can contact us. We also have email, but you can reach us that way if you, you want to. You can slide in our DMs on Instagram. Yeah. Any, any way you want to find us. Yeah. We're out there. Call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Call me, beat me if you want to reach me. <laughs> we love you so much. We'll get through this. Um, everything's going to be okay. I know that sounds cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Yes, because they're true, yep. and everything is going to be okay. We here for you. We love you. Mm-hmm. And we love yes. you. All right. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs>